familiar with the Bible Project, it is a great resource. And you can go to their website and see most everything they do for free. In fact, throughout the pandemic, uh, they have created an at-home um, list of resources of a number of topics that they've covered just like this, uh, in which you can do this with your family. It has some discussion questions. You can watch the video. They're all very high quality. And the theology that is shared and the teaching that is shared is very biblically based, and uh, you'll find that they put it in such a great context, which we love here, when you take something that can't seem like a, a difficult concept and we make it understandable, they do just an incredible job with that. And as we begin to continue our discussion of doing justice, I want us to pray together because today what I want to talk to you about, uh, I could get a lot of different responses. So let's pray that we get, uh, that we do what God would have us to do, and that we would receive what God would have us to receive. Okay, Father, I thank you that we can come together in this place. I thank you that we have the ability to congregate even beyond the walls of this room for there our friends, our brothers, and our sisters uh, who are at home right now. And Father, I thank you that you uh, cover us with your love, no matter where we are worshiping, because the object of our worship has not changed. And Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us throughout your word and help us to understand this greater idea of justice in this world that it is so misused and abused so that we can not only understand what you're calling us to, but that we can faithfully live it out and we can show other people the beauty of walking with Christ. So I pray that you would speak to us today, that you would hear our prayers, that you would hear our worship, and, re and that we recognize that all that we are is because of you. Uh, we are thankful for the gift of Christ in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Micah 6.8 where we've been. Uh, Micah 6.8 is, uh, if, if we were to, to take somebody who was kind of new to faith, and they weren't really sure what this whole thing was about, uh, different people would say you should start in different places. I think this is a beautiful place to start for a person who's just trying to figure out what does it mean to know Jesus. Uh, certainly we want to know the Gospels. We want to know the life of Jesus. We want to know the story of uh, the work of Christ and his resurrection, his death, and his ascension because that's what gives the biblical message any authority. The fact that somebody died and came back to life <laughs> that gives them some credibility that you and I don't have. Like I can say you should listen to me because I have some status or I have some power or some position, but the fact that someone rose from the dead uh, who was the Son of God, they, they get more than we do, and so we listen to the message in which they have given us. But after knowing the story of Jesus, uh, going back to Micah 6.8 would be a great place to start because what ends up happening many times in the church is we – we create a list of behaviors and priorities that we now expect you to follow. And some of those begin with things that may or may not be ultimately important to God as we think they are. For example, you need to come to church. Well, I'm a believer you need to come to church, not because we're doing a service, so you should be here so we have a lot of people here. You should be within a community of people to love each other and to serve each other and to work this out together. This is what the church was always meant to be. We can't do that if we scatter to the winds 
every time that there's something going on with the body of Christ. Now, this weekend, Friday night, we had uh, a worship night down at Camp Jordan. I don't know how many people were there or how many churches. I'd say there was probably 1,500 or so there. Uh, there were a whole bunch of people in cars that didn't feel like getting out of their cars. Uh, but the whole purpose of the night was for unity and action. Now, some people had a, a real issue with the, the word action. Um, and this is why I want to have this conversation with you today, not because of that worship night. But the reality is when we start talking about justice, we are not always talking about the same thing. The reality is when we start talking about Action as it relates to racial unity. Action does not have the same meaning for everyone who's using it, right? Some people are acting in a way in which I want to jump on board. I want to be a part of what they're doing for exactly what this video is talking about. There are those that need help rising to the same level of dignity and respect as a a co-bearer of God's image. And they need someone to come alongside and help even things out. I want to join people who are doing that. There are other people that use the word action in ways that I am not supportive of. I'm not supportive uh, that we absolutely do away with all law and order. And I'm not supportive of burning things down until we get our way. That is not the biblical image of justice or action. In fact, I, I talked to some of our organizers and said, maybe we should have just called this a worship night of racial unity and service because the action for Friday night, was about serving together in our community where there are needs. So our our vocabulary is crucial if we're going to understand this concept of justice because justice is thrown around today as a word, but few people really understand what everybody is saying. If we were to go around the room and I would say, would you give me a definition of justice? I mean, I hope after the video and last week you give me something similar to what we've talked about. But if, in all honesty, if we just said, from what I see in the world, what I hear in media, what social media tells me, what social justice tells me, I bet we would have many different answers as to what justice is. So when Micah says, in Micah 6.8, which is what we've been in for the last six weeks, says, this is what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We, we mix those up because doing justice is so misunderstood and because it's an action that we have used in many different ways, we have to understand the motive behind the action before we start getting busy doing something. So the motive behind the action we, we began with was we have to love mercy. We love mercy when we have the ability to punish, but we withhold punishment. And that is born in us because we deserved punishment and Jesus withheld punishment instead, taking it on himself so that we ourselves could be forgiven. We then talked about walking humbly and the idea of humility was not subservience. The idea of humility was not that you are less than anybody else or that you acted less than anybody else. Sometimes we have a false idea that humility means I'm going to pretend I feel less than you but I really don't. We have a joke in our house. Uh, We will say, I'm the most humble person that I know. (laughs) And, you know, that's how a lot of us kind of approach humility. Like, it's, it's a badge that we put on our lapel that says, I'm just better at being not as good as other people, which is just a really weird paradox, but that's 
one of the ways we understand humility in our world today. Or that we have a lack of confidence. A humble person has extreme confidence. But that confidence is not worked out in a way that demeans and reduces the confidence of others, but instead raises the confidence level of all people because we recognize we are all equal before God. Every one of us. We're all equal image bearers. We are, are all equal sinners. Let's, we could pass a mic and we can confess all our sins together and that would be a lot of fun. But we are all equally sinful. We are all equally in need of Christ. And Christ died for us equally. So doing justice, we talked about is the reality that humility tells us that we are all equal in dignity and respect. Every person is due equal dignity and respect, no matter how we, through our, our associations or, or our opinions of people or our politics, no matter how we look at people, all people are deserving of equal respect and dignity. Justice is the action of seeking out the reality that all people are living with equal dignity and respect before God. Now, we often understand justice as just getting what you deserve, which is exactly what mercy addresses. Sometimes we look at justice as, in order to do justice, just don't do anything that's unjust. Like, don't do anything wrong, and then you're being just. But that's not how the Bible talks about justice. So, I don't want to rehash everything we've talked about for the last five weeks, but that All that foundation is important to understand what I want to share with you today, which is, so how do we do this? How do we do this in today's world? Where justice is on the news every day, whether we agree with the definition or not. How do we practice this as believers? I love the the, the scene in which it shows the, the newly cleansed believer shouting his trumpet of righteousness and justice for all, and yet they're just ignored because that's often how it feels to be a follower of Jesus seeking justice. Because the justice some of our friends want us to, to shout is not the justice that God wants us to shout. One of the other questions that we often struggle with, and we touched on this last weekend, and that is just, so does this mean that if someone does something that is unjust, that we simply never hold them accountable? So that leads us kind of to this what about question, which is what about justice and how it relates to judgment and then how that relates to accountability? Isn't it our place at some level to hold people accountable and to pass judgment if someone breaks a law? What if somebody steals something or hurts someone? Don't we hold them accountable? Don't we pass judgment upon them? And this is one of the places where we struggle, especially in in such an individualistic society as this, where we want people to help us and not hurt us. And if they hurt us, then we have harsh words for that, but we don't always have thankful words for those who help us. So we cannot ignore judgment or accountability, but this is one of the places where God would say and has said, let me be the judge. Be careful who you pass judgment on because how you pass judgment on somebody else is exactly how you yourself are going to be judged. He also says, don't take this into your own hands to pay back evil with evil or to feel like you've got to punish everybody for their sins because that is the 
job solely of God. Now, we as a people have to govern ourselves in such a way that we don't have people running through and stealing everything and killing everybody, and we have these perpetual protests that burn down cities continually all day, every day. How can we constantly uh, work through that? How can we live lives that way? And how can we as Christians work on equalizing the dignity and respect of all when a group of people is constantly knocking down someone else? Well, that's what doing justice is. And the short answer I shared last week was this is why it requires us to have such an incredible prayer life and a knowledge of Scripture so that we can act as we hear God tell us to act and we know how God would move us. We don't just read the Bible because you're supposed to because you're a Christian. We read the Bible to know how to act in a certain situation that would honor God and would have uh, would further God's mission in this world, which is that all people would know Christ. So accountability is not something that we ignore. In the church, in fact, accountability is very important. So much so that if you continue in a sin, were confronted with that sin and said, I'm going to do this no matter what. I'm going to do this because I want to do it. Then you would actually be kicked out of the church. Some churches call that being excommunicated. And most everyone on the planet, if you don't understand the purpose of it, would say, that's not a good thing. We ought not kick people out of the church for being a sinner because we're all sinners. But see, the point of that passage is not that we are hurting them. The point of that passage is you are headed down a path of bondage and destruction, and you're going head first, and you're happy to go there. We're not going to go with you. We're going to give you over to this. And the hope was that by leaving the church, they would recognize the pain the sin was actually causing and they would return to following Christ again. The point was restoration, which is how we closed out last week. God is a God of judgment, but yet even within his judgment, he is often offering restoration because that is his goal for us. We read that in Leviticus 11, 44 and 45. For I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy. For I am holy. Oh, nope, wrong passage. Did I not bring it on here? I didn't bring it on here. I don't, I don't have a slide for it. It's actually in Isaiah. No, nope, I didn't bring it. Isaiah in which he says, I pass judgment on you, and yet I create a covenant with you. Like, I, I'm giving you hope. I'm give, throwing you a rope. So how do we do this? Sorry, I couldn't hear. Thanks, Siri. Siri doesn't understand what I'm saying. So how do we do this? Leviticus 11, I was going to read, is talking about being holy. Be holy, for I am holy. Or perpetuate my character, of which justice is a, a strong part of his character. So how do we start this? I, I want to share with you um, five, six ways that we kind of do this in the climate in which we're in. All right? Number one, the church needs to lead the way. And the church needs to lead the way because the church is should be, I won't say is, should be that group that understands justice better than any other person on the planet because we live it. We live it. It's not about a new list of laws or a new list of rules or a better governing body. It's that we live out the reality that we are all equal before God and we are seeking for all people to recognize we are all equal to God and co-heirs to God once we know Christ. It is a beautiful opportunity and calling that we see over and over again. This is the Great Commission. 
This is when Jesus said, this is how people are going to know who you are, but we as the church have got to get our stuff together. The reality is sometimes we in the church are even more divisive than people that are in the world. Divisiveness does not lead to justice. Justice seeks to elevate others. Being divisive seeks to de-elevate others. Now, I recognize I'm saying this in a turbulent time, one of which none of us have lived through before, while going through a contentious election season. We're not exactly frolicking in the flowers right now. This is a hard time for us. Opinions are strong. And we want to voice those opinions. But I want to tell you, if we are going to, to hope to propose justice in the world, which is to raise those who are disadvantaged, then we ourselves are going to have to change the way we respond to each other and to the world around us. We've got to get our stuff together. The church has to be the church, which means we are not the same as the world. There's a reason you don't feel like you fit. I talk to an increasing number of Christians who say, I don't fit. I just don't fit anywhere. Like, I don't fit in the conservative circles. I don't fit in you know, the liberal progressive circles. I don't often even fit in the moderate circles. I'm like a square peg trying to fit in a round hole. And Jesus would say, well, congratulations. Now you know what it's like. Because that's the way my life is. It's how people treated me. The reality is, is there's something within us that wants to connect with people that we like and that we agree with. And so we want to agree with them. If, if you're a person who doesn't have confident humility, and instead you have that humility that says, I need to take on whatever other stronger people tell me to take on, then you will, you, you will bend and buckle, and you will take on whatever ideologies your friends or the people you want to be your friends tell you to take on. That's one of the reasons we shout at each other on Facebook. We're trying to catch those people that will bend, even though I I really don't think there's that many of them anymore. But what's important for us is that we recognize we are part of this world, or we are in this world, but we are not of this world. This is is one of the things that literally uh, Jesus was, was encouraging us to do, which was recognize that your place is not to fit in this world the way that you think it is to fit in this world. It has to begin with the church. This is why he said, A new commandment I give to you in John 13. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you love one another. And then he goes on to say this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If we were to flash up all our interactions this week, whether it be in person, email, text, phone calls, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever your source is, would a third party who doesn't know us walk up and say, you know what? They've got to be a disciple. Look how they love these other people. Now, I'll be honest. I like to say they would say that about me. I think probably at best as I think back about my last week's interactions is that I'm neutral. I think that's best case, right? I'm not sure they're going to go, man, Mark really loves people. 
Have you ever considered your interactions through that lens? Probably not. But maybe we should. As if a third party is constantly watching you to how this interaction plays out. Well, this is one of the reasons we believe that the Holy Spirit dwells within us and is with us and teaches us all things and intercedes for us and prays for us and at times, I think, tattles on us. Look at what Mark's doing over here. Remind us Jesus is watching. Are we on mission with him? Or would they say something like this about us from Matthew 7, 15, where Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who came to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. What if we had to stand before God and he made us give an account for every single thing we ever said or did? I don't think that's going to happen. I think that's one of the purposes for Jesus dying for us. But as a follower of Jesus, I want to make sure that I am working and progressing in the way that I am demonstrating to others the way that Jesus would demonstrate to them. They are loved. They are worthy. They have value and dignity and respect, even if they're running for public office. A lot of us struggle with people who are running for public office. We say a lot of really nasty things about people who are running for public office. And in that, what we say that we believe is that their sin is worse than ours. We are not equal. We do not deserve equal dignity and respect. We are not equal sinners. They're worse. They're worse. And will the world look at us through our interactions through this season and say, they love others? Or will they say something else? Will they say something else? I'm going to hit politics in a minute. Man, I'm already there, but I'm going to hit it differently in a minute. I want you to understand we are equal opportunity offenders here at Journey Church. If you're a Republican, we're going to offend you. And if you're a Democrat, we're going to offend you. And if you're a Libertarian, we're going to offend you if we know who you are, right? We're equal opportunity offenders. And I hope we're also equal opportunity lovers. Because there's a lot of people, this may, be, this may go into two weeks, but today may go into two weeks because I'm going to chase some rabbit trails or I'm almost, already, already almost out of time. There are people who could care less what our political affiliation is. But they're down. They're dying inside. And they're looking for something. And they can tell by the Bible verses on our social media walls that we have some affiliation or knowledge of Christianity. And they're curious. And there may be somebody who wants to talk to you about, I'm dying here. I need to know something about Jesus. 
Now, would the fact that this person may be voting for the person other than you are, after they see your posts, will they come to you to ask you about Jesus? See, as Christians, I have an opinion. I have a strong opinion about politics. Like I have a strong I know who I'm voting for. I have a strong opinion on who I'm voting for. Ideally, you don't know who I'm voting for. If you do, I I'm, I would be shocked if anyone in this room knows who I'm voting for other than my family. I'd be shocked. I have strong opinions. You should have strong opinions. You should vote for somebody that you feel confident that this is the person who is best suited to lead our nation. You should do that. But you should also recognize that in a hundred years, if Jesus hasn't returned, most people won't even know who the two men who are running for office right now are. Because the kingdom of God lasts longer and is more powerful and more important than telling people who the wrong person to vote for is. Have an opinion. Vote. Be involved. Donate. When Jesus was asked, what do we do about taxes? I mean, do we give to the church or do I give to the government? Give to them what's their due, but make sure you are grounded in the kingdom. All right. Nobody's walked up and left yet, so let's keep going. How do we start this? We have to... Seek a level field in every arena in which we do life. It means in the church. The whole reason come as you are is attractive to people who are seeking God is because that says to them, they are not going to judge me. They're not going to push me down while they elevate themselves. And some of us are a, are a kind of a big pill to swallow, amen? Can we say that? Some of, us, <laughs> some of us are a big pill to swallow. And yet we receive with equal, equal dignity and respect. Evangelism has to go the same way. That's one of the reasons that I'm a, a bigger advocate for relational evangelism than I am for you know, guerrilla warfare evangelism where we just kind of pop in and pop out. Build relationships with people because it is in demonstrating love and value and worth to other people that we actually have the opportunity to show them where that comes from, which is through Christ. We have to do this in our marriages. Our marriages have to be equal dignity and respect for all parties within our marriages. And, 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 and let's be honest, you'll spend your entire marriage trying to get to that point. We're broken, sinful people, Right? We have equal dignity and respect in our families. People need to see this in us. Doing justice is more than just uh, saying what we think is right or wrong, but instead elevating others. That's one of six points. We are out of time. I'm going to jump through some of these others. After that, we start with the church. We have to take justice into the world. That is the Great Commission. This is what Jesus said. He's actually praying to the Father about us, about this very thing I'm talking to you about. And he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This is our calling. This is our place. And I just want you to know, if you think we're going to skip and jump and smile and this is going to be a lovely experience every time we engage the world, I'm, it's, if you've ever tried, you know that's not how it works out. Sometimes it does. Sometimes just it's like the stars align and, and people are ready and they respond, and it's just like a revival breaks out, and it's just a wonderful, beautiful thing. But a lot of times people look at you and think, you're nuts. You're nuts. It's one of the reasons so many Christians keep their beliefs so close to the chest. I'm just not going to put my beliefs on you. It's actually a defensive mechanism because we don't want people to reject us. Because we have feelings too, right? Jesus is saying, you're going to be rejected. I was rejected. Have the truth. Live out the truth. I'm not going to read it in Matthew 5. That's why he talks about being salt and light. Change the world around you. We were meant to change the world around us for good. It means when you go into school, you have a role to play for the body of Christ and the kingdom of God in your school. No matter how old you are, you have a role to play. You go into work, you go into work seeking justice for your coworkers. Now, work is not exactly, you know, the kingdom of God. You can't go to your boss and say, listen, we think we should all get paid the same. We should all get the same privileges. We should, that's not how the world works, right? But we can go in and we can elevate among relationships, which means we don't d- jump into the office gossip. We don't jump in and start tearing people down because <laughs> at least... Woo, at least they're not tearing me down. But listen, every time you jump into a conversation with somebody to tear somebody else down, your time is coming. Your time is coming. Stay away from that stuff. It's our neighborhood. We struggle with, uh, uh, in our neighborhood, we have some African-American neighbors. We have some people that have some paraphernalia around their house that is very negative. In the view of African Americans, what do, how do we respond to this? By putting up a, 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 a you know paraphernalia that demeans another group of people, we, we, we actively see the differentiating of people and the injustice that happens because now we're pushing somebody down. We want them to know they're not accepted, not wanted, not loved, not valued, which is why our church is so involved in the conversation about racial unity and reconciliation. We've had some friends come and speak on racial issues that, quite honestly, have offended some people. And some people have even walked away from our church because we've talked so strongly about this area of injustice in our world. What's important is that we recognize there are things that happen within our world that need us to come alongside and help them be lifted to the place of equal dignity and respect. Now, do we all agree on how to do that? Absolutely not. Even among our pastors and friends that we love and get together, we don't always agree. We can't agree we need to work in that direction. One of the things I also love about the videos, it talks about that it's not only about seeking... um, uh, equality for us, it's about seeking equality for others. We actually advocate for those 
who are experiencing injustice. We have to lift them up. Third thing we have to do, which is more of a mindset change for some of us, is that we have to trust that Jesus is going to do what he said he would do, and that is return. And he's going to work this out. He even says, listen, we're going to have uh, wheat and we're going to have chaff growing together. Jesus is going to come work all that out. He's coming back. This is, this is where some of my own personal politics and theology merge that don't always fit into the world. For example, I believe we were put here to take care of this world. We should take care of this world. Right? We should manage it well. Um, I think it's crazy that we put a paper straw in a plastic cup. You know, I think that is the silliest thing I've ever seen. I believe we should take care of the world. I do not believe that we are going to end the world because Jesus is going to end the world. So I don't think God's going to say, Jesus, I need you to get down there because those people have messed up that world faster than I thought they would, and I need you to get down there because I need you to come back before it's all gone. Jesus says, I'm coming. Maybe he'll come in global warming. But the world's not going to end before Jesus returns. And if we don't believe that's true, then we have to start asking what else do we not believe that Jesus said is true. I don't know how it's all going to work out. We've got to trust that Jesus is going to do what he said he'd do. We have to be patient that Jesus is working things that we don't fully comprehend or understand. And it may take longer than we want, and it may go a different route than we want, and he may actually use people we wish he wouldn't use to do it. We have to trust he's going to do what he said he would do. We have to be patient for him to work. It's one of the reasons that we, we need to pray into this stuff. God would work and that we would see things the way he would have us to see them. Number fourth, maybe I've already failed at this today, we have to guard our tongues about politics. See, There's a real misunderstanding about where our hope is in the world. My hope is not in a political party. My hope is not in a president or in a government. It's not in a nation. It's not in people. I do have hope for people and I have hope in people, but I do not let that hope supersede my hope that I have in Christ. And I would encourage you to do the same. This election is going to end. Let's hold our tongues. Here, here's the thing I've seen over and over again in the, in the world, is that it takes a lifetime to build a good reputation, and it takes a moment to ruin it. Let's say that again. It takes a lifetime to make a good reputation. It takes a moment to ruin it. Let's be so super careful that what first comes out of our mouths is kingdom, not the kingdom of the United States of America, the kingdom of God. Let that come out and be the perspective that everything else that comes out of our mouth goes through. Kingdom of God first. One of the things, and we don't really have time to talk about it today, we have a, a, a falsehood we've come to believe is that many of the partisan policies that we attach ourselves to as Christians are not innately Christian or unchristian. They're different ways of doing things. Like, I, I'm a believer in fiscal conservatism, right? I'm without a party <laughs> because no one else seems to. Don't spend more money than you've got. That's just good in life. 
period. But that's a way of seeing government expenditures that is not necessarily Christian or unchristian because there are lots of ways economics work that I don't understand. For example, being in debt to another nation sometimes has the ability to keep you from going to war with that nation because they want to collect your debt. Economics work on a level my brain doesn't work on. You know, that's why I don't do that. That's why I'm a pastor. I I don't work on world policy for economics. That's beyond me. That's an easy one, but there are lots of political issues that are not inherently Christian or unchristian. We've got to stop attaching Jesus to a political issue that Jesus doesn't really care about. And you could, you could push back and say, well, Jesus cares about everything. You know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying, right? You've got to guard our tongues about politics. It is the sharpest weapon we have is our tongue. We've got to recognize nuance and complexity exists in the world today. We've forgotten that. If we can't say it in 20 seconds, then we haven't fully given a thought that anyone will listen to. But in 20 seconds, you can never possibly communicate nuance or complexity. Fifth thing we've got to do, if we're going to do justice, we have to educate ourselves on what's going on in the world we have to keep that in step with biblical theology. Like We can't just pretend. We can't put our head in the sand and be like, I'm just voting Jesus, right? I mean, you can. Some people are going to write that in. I've quite honestly thought about it myself. But I would, I would encourage you to know the issues. Now, I've got friends who will remind me in a very um, tender way when I've said something emphatically that demonstrates a lack of education on the issue. And I have some friends who have said it not so tenderly to me. Both are good words. We need to know what we're talking about. This is part of Christians being as as wise as as a fox. We've got to know what we're talking about. We talk about racism. I'm learning. I'm very careful not to elevate myself to a some level of Mark's the guy I need to ask about racism because I'm like I'm learning. I'm learning. I've never been um, a victim of racism that I know of. I'm learning. I'm learning how the system works. We learned a lot about things when we went through the foster system. It opened our eyes to some things, which is one of the reasons I am so passionate about working to elevate value and dignity among all people. Um, We have to be educated. But if you are educated on the political issue and you are not educated on how the Bible would view that political issue, you're only halfway there. Biblical theology has to be in step with our knowledge of what's going on in the world. It's part of being in the world but not of the world. And then the last thing I'm going to share with you, gosh, we could have done this through a whole series. This is a lot in one day, I know. Is that we have to use our power. We talked last week about how an issue of justice is power. Okay? We all have a level of power in the world. Some of us have more than others. We have to use our power biblically, compassionately, and correctly. 
Now, I recognize because I am white, I have more power than some of my African American friends in some circles. I have to use that power wisely. You have a level of power in your community, whether you recognize it or not. And the reason that people respond so negatively oftentimes to the issue of race is because, and, and I, I hear this so many times, well, I, I, didn't hold any, I don't hold slaves. I didn't do this. Yeah, yeah, okay, true. But do you recognize that some things have happened through history that have kept a group of people disadvantaged and they need help rising back to the same level of dignity and respect as the rest of us? And we see this in Scripture all over the place. People who have power and use it for those who have been disadvantaged. Now, of course, Jesus is the greatest example, and that's the go-to uh, example of what that is. Jesus, you know, uses his power to forgive us for our sins, to take atonement for our sins, and, and to make us clean and free and, and, and his brothers and sisters in Christ. So he has done that, but we have this all throughout um, the Old Testament. Uh, Moses was brought up in, in the Bible Project video as a place where Moses used his power in a couple of ways, inappropriate and appropriate ways. Inappropriate was a slave was being beaten and he kills the soldier beating him. Inappropriate use of power because he has position and authority and he took a person's life. That's one of the reasons God says don't kill other people because their life matters as much as your does. Yours does. Like when we kill somebody else, we say, I have more right to life than you. So the, you know, I probably shouldn't have said right to life. That opens up a whole nother can of worms. But ultimately, that's why it says don't murder, because everyone has an equal right to life, equal dignity and respect before God. All image bearers of God, all sinful, all broken all worthy of being restored and put back together through the blood of Jesus Christ. Esther is a beautiful story of using power for those who are disadvantaged. If you'll remember, Esther married Xerxes, and her, uh, her people are going to be wiped out, and uh, her uncle comes and says, Esther, you've got to go talk to the king, and the king's got to come in, and the king's got to spare us because you know his people are going to destroy us. And she's like, oh, no, 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 if I go talk to him, they're going to kill me. Uh, and yet she goes and she talks to the king and saves the nation of Israel. She used her power for those who had none. Another great story is Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he weeps over the walls of Jerusalem being in ruins. And he says, oh, we've got to restore this place for God's people. He goes to the king and says... I need to go rebuild the walls of my forefathers. And the king uses his power, not necessarily a believer, though yet the same king who's married to Esther says, go, I'm going to pay for all the materials you need to rebuild the walls of a nation that at once was our enemy. Here's how I want to wrap this up. I don't want this to be overtly political. It's just that's the season we're in. This is not a political issue. 
This is a way we see people, a way we treat people, how we use our resources to help those who are disadvantaged and honors Christ. Bring up politics because that's the season we're in, and I see so much damage and destruction for the cause of the kingdom of God because we have put our hope in a candidate who will not die on the cross for us, will not give salvation to us, and has no bearing on our eternity whatsoever. This concept of justice is not in and of itself overtly political. It's loving and valuing people. I want to encourage you. So race is an issue for me. It may not be your thing. There are lots of areas of injustice. A lot of people are, are all about sex trafficking, which is another wonderful issue of people that are pushed down and made to be nobody in the world to satisfy who people who uh, consider themselves somebodies in the world. That may be your issue. Go for it. Go for it. Your issue may be family. It may be adoption. It may be fostering. It could be any number of issues. But part of being the presence of Christ in this world is that we do work for justice, not because we want a society without anything bad happening. Uh, yes, we want that. Because this is one of the paths that we help people understand what Jesus did for them. And this is how we spread the gospel. Micah is showing us throughout um, his writings at a very difficult time in the world. that We can do a lot of things in the name of God. They thought it was about sacrifice. We may think it's about church attendance or tithing or reading enough Bible in a day or, 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 something, or being a part of the right denomination or reading the right version of the Bible. But, but what Micah is showing us is that he wants us to love mercy, to walk humbly, and to do justice. All right? So I have so oversimplified some of these things today that there's no way to walk, walk away without further conversation down the road, in which we will have. Next week, we're going to be talking about the role of prayer in all of this, and what we do, what we believe, how we act, and how we go. All right? I'm going to stay up front today. If you have questions, you want to talk some more, I'll be open to do that. If you're online, if you want to shoot me a question through email or text or in the comments, I'll try to follow up with those later. Um, it is my hope that we are the church that is the church in our city, along with our brothers and sisters, that we would bring God's idea for this world to fruition, and that we would do that by keeping our eyes fixed on him. Father, I thank you for your patience with a broken people. I thank you for your patience with me, how slow it is for me to understand what you're really wanting, and, and I, don't even, I don't even pretend to believe I've got it all figured out even about justice today. I pray that you would pray that you would change our hearts and our minds. You would change the lenses by which we view others. I pray that your kingdom is most important to us, that treasure, that we're willing to give up everything so we can have it. I pray for those in this room who have power to help those who have none. To see it and to use it. 
I know there are some people they don't they don't believe they have any power. They're just like everybody else. They have no power, no no ability, no privilege, no they don't have anything. So why offer it to anyone else because they don't have it themselves? And yet, God, you, despite what we've received just socially from the people we know, and for some of us, the color of our skin or or, or from uh, an ethnicity uh, has somehow given us more privilege than others. God. I pray that we would recognize our ultimate power doesn't come from anything this world gives us. Our ultimate power comes from you. Let us use that to better the world, to show them the beauty of knowing Christ. Let us be examples of loving others as ourselves. Let us be examples of walking humbly, examples of loving mercy. Let us be examples of doing justice, just as Jesus would have. Give us the lens to see that. To act it out. In Jesus' name we pray.